0: In Canada, a person goes missing every seven minutes. Of the 71,000 people reported missing each year, about 26,000 of them are adults. The good news is that most of the adults reported missing will be found within a week. About 88% of them will return or be located within that time frame. But what about those who just aren't found? The mothers and fathers, sons and daughters who disappear without a trace? These are the cases that we really need your help to solve. I'm Ellen White, and you are listening to Whereabouts Unknown. Today's episode is called The Families Speak. At this point, we want to advise our listeners that this podcast contains mention of violence. It is not suitable for children or sensitive listeners. When a family member goes missing, there are always other victims. The surviving family members, their lives are changed forever. Imagine for a second seeing your loved one walk out the door one day and then you just never see them again. That is exactly what happened to the four families that you'll hear from in our podcast today. 26 year old Danny Galton disappeared from Grand Prairie, Alberta on November 24, 1997. Danny, originally from Newfoundland, had moved from his home in Labrador City just a few months before. He trained as a correctional officer and had found work at a young offender facility in Grand Prairie. He was also working nights as a security guard at the construction site of what would ultimately become the Sandman Inn. Now, finding yourself in serious trouble is sometimes just a matter of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Based on tips from our listeners and many interviews with people familiar with the situation, Our team believes that Danny disappeared after crossing paths with the wrong people at the Park Hotel in Grand Prairie. The park was part bar, part strip club, and even on a weeknight, business was booming when Danny arrived. He was said to have been in an altercation, left, then returned. He has never been seen alive again. It's been a long road for the Galton family. Danny's beloved mother has passed in the 24 years since his disappearance. His many siblings have tried to rebuild their lives. But can a family really rebuild without knowing for sure what's happened? The Galton family has posted a $100,000 reward for information that leads to the recovery of Danny's remains. But so far, they have had no resolution and no closure. Here is our interview with Danny's youngest sister, Valerie.
1: Uh, Danny was just an all-around good guy. Uh, He was the life of the party. Uh, He made friends very easily. He had great friendships, great family relationships. Um, He was the youngest boy in our family and uh, definitely a very special part of our family, of course. He um, had great relationships with all of our siblings, our mother, um especially uh and he was just he was just a really nice guy he was the type of guy people just wanted to be around um very fun very fun loving um absolutely hilarious uh just an all-around you know good-natured person he was very kind um just you know it's it's difficult of course to like talk about what we miss about him and all of that stuff but Um, He was a very important part of our family, and uh, we definitely miss him very, very greatly. Yeah,
0: of course, of course. Now, in July 1997, Danny leaves and heads out to Grand Prairie to take on a job as a correctional officer, which had been a dream for him. Mm -hmm. When he left in July, when had you next expected to see him?
1: Um... I don't think at that time he had any great plans of exactly, but most likely Christmas time, you know, uh, that would have been some time that we would have expected him to come home for a visit for sure.
0: I am certain it was an absolute shock to, to you and to your entire family to find that on November 24th, 1997, Danny just disappeared. So again, for our listeners who may not have heard that first podcast, here is what we believe to be true. And, and, and I think you agree Danny on that evening goes to the park hotel in Grand Prairie, Alberta. There he's involved in an altercation with at least two men, possibly more. Danny is injured in that altercation and he leaves the park hotel only to return a short while later to once again, be confronted by these men. And Danny's not been seen since.
1: That's correct. And uh, like you said, a, a huge shock. I mean, you never expect this kind of thing to happen in your life. You hear about it on the news and, you know, you hear about this happening to other people, but to have it happen to your own brother is, it's just unimaginable. It's unimaginable. I couldn't even find the words to tell you the the shock and devastation that we were met with that uh, November 1997. It's just un- unfathomable is... I don't even know if that covers it. It was quite a shock. It's not something that we would have ever expected. Danny was a pretty um, laid back kind of guy, uh, not the type of guy to, you know, find himself in in those situations, but uh, definitely a a big shock for sure.
0: Now, Val, we're not going to mention the names of the individuals uh, Mm -hmm. who were involved that night, although we we do have those names and Mm -hmm. as does the Grand Prairie RCMP at this point in your family. Yes, Were you a bit surprised that the RCMP didn't seem to take this situation seriously back in 1997?
1: Um, Yes. I mean, I would say now, in hindsight, it's not surprising because we've lived this nightmare for so many years. It's actually going to be 24 years in just a couple weeks. And, um, you know, those are the people, of course, that you expect that are going to help you. And unfortunately, we didn't feel like at that time they did take it as serious as we felt they should have. Um, I know when people go missing, there's, you know, all kinds of possibilities that could have happened to them, and they kind of just right off the get-go went with some possibilities that we just didn't buy into, whether, you know, he just left or that type of thing. And we knew immediately that something terrible had happened because it's just, you know, and nobody wants to believe that their family member would just leave, um, but we knew instantly that something very bad had happened. Um, and like you said, it's, it's definitely, it was a very big struggle. Um, my family went to Grand Prairie immediately, some of my family members to try and push the RCMP to, you know, do what we expected and what we thought needed to be done. But unfortunately, I just don't think that they took it serious at the time.
0: As you said, Val, decades have passed. And do you think mm-hmm. that the RCMP response now, uh, do you think it's any different? And do you think that they are taking you seriously?
1: I think it is very different, Um, definitely thanks to a lot of years of pressure and a huge thanks to Whereabouts Unknown and the work that you guys have put into this and helping us get some answers. Um, I think that the RCMP has a very different tune at this time and with all the information that we've presented to them with your help. they, I believe, are taking it very seriously. Um, They're treating it very differently than they did in 1997. And for the first time ever, we actually, um, I guess, feel a little bit more hopeful that they are working on this as opposed to just telling us they're working on it.
0: I think our listeners have brought forward some very important information about Danny's case that, as I said, has been passed on to the RCMP And and from all of the conversations that we've had, it does seem like there is a brand new momentum in this case. And we're confident that you're going to get more and more answers uh, with every day that passes. Now, you brought up a really good point, and that's that when a person goes missing, sometimes it's difficult to convince a police service that something bad has happened. We maintain that a family is in the best position to know what their loved one might do. If a family is absolutely certain that their loved one would not take off on a jaunt for a couple of weeks, if they feel there was no indication that they were suicidal, uh, we think that families really need to be listened to. And they are certainly our best source of that historical information. When a family has a loved one who has gone missing, You've been following up on this for 24 years. Your family has never backed down. You have stayed in constant communication with the police and you have urged them over and over again to move this case forward and get answers for you. What would you recommend for other families who find themselves in a similar situation, whether it's the RCMP or any police service out there? What's the best way for families to get some traction with the police service they're dealing with? Um, I think it's really
1: important to just be consistent, never, ever give up. Um, You know, like you mentioned, we have absolutely hounded the Grand Prairie RCMP for 24 years. Um, We made sure whatever we could do to make sure that they aren't forgetting his name, his case, you know, keeping in constant contact with them. Again, it's hard to, you know, you feel like you know what they should be doing it's hard to just make them do that but like just never giving up keeping in contact with them keep asking questions you know don't be deterred by you know lip service that kind of thing like find out the answers you can in our case over the years we've just taken every possible avenue that we can and it's a really helpless journey sometimes because you just don't know what you have what you can do I mean we're not police we're not law enforcement that type of stuff Um, But we've just kept our eyes and ears open for every opportunity to keep his name out there, his story out there, whether it be, you know, contacting the police, asking them to do press releases, uh, creating a Facebook page, um, making contacts with people in law enforcement um, to just try and get somebody to listen. And then, of course, you know, coming in contact with you guys at Whereabouts Unknown was an absolute godsend, you know, reach out to whoever you can, like anybody that you can reach out to, to talk to that might be able to help you in any way, just keep reaching out, keep, you know, just don't ever give up. Like it's a long time, 24 years, of course, in our case is a long time. And I guess sometimes it's easy to kind of just throw up your hands and say like, there's nothing else we can do. Um, But we've refused to do that and I think that's, you know, the main focus is just keep going, keep going, keep going, no matter what.
0: Now, Trevor Hamlin is another Newfoundlander who just disappeared without a trace. 33-year-old Trevor, nicknamed Pepsi, is a popular and likable guy from Paradise, Newfoundland. He is going through some things, but he still makes a point of getting to his mom's for a weekly home-cooked meal. But on June 16th, 2018, Trevor Hamlin disappears. The Royal Newfoundland Constabulary uses their mounted unit, the police dog services unit, a helicopter, a drone in an attempt to find him without success. Not much is known about Trevor's movements on that last day, but we do know that he is seen on video buying a bottle of Jameson whiskey and a bottle of Big 8 ginger ale. The Royal Newfoundland Constabulary asks that if you see those two items together in a particular area whether it's on a trail or otherwise, that you notify them. Here is our interview with Trevor's mother, Michelle, where she tells us how she found out that Trevor was missing and how she has managed to cope in the years since. So, Michelle, I want to apologize in advance for taking you back to that day because I I can't even imagine how difficult it must have been for you. But I, I wanted to ask you, how did you find out that Trevor was missing?
2: No apology necessary, Ellen. We lived this phone call over and over um, quite a lot. We received the phone call on a Tuesday night. It was after 11 o'clock. My daughter and I were getting ready to go to bed. And the phone call came from his roommate. Uh, He was away for the weekend and came... And told us that Trevor has not been seen or heard uh, since Saturday and um, nobody knows where his whereabouts are. So that's when the phone call changed our lives, 180.
0: My goodness, of course. Now, given Trevor's age, it would not be unusual, I would think, for a young man to maybe go away for a couple of days. Did you think it was unusual right away when the roommate called you? Did you did you think that something had happened?
2: I did. Um, my stomach muscles contracted. It didn't feel right. And uh, Trevor has left and been on his own since he was twenty four. So when he was going to post secondary education, he had moved in. Uh, with other classmates to go through to school.
0: That had to be an absolutely heartbreaking moment. He
2: he could have been out to a friend's house, but that particular evening, when we received that kind of information, we knew right away there's something not right.
0: I think there is nothing more important or more sensitive than a mother's intuition. And uh, I think that you very likely had that given the incredible bond that you share with Trevor and and how close you are now. It's been a a bit of time that, you know, that has passed. And, and I know that it likely doesn't get easier at all, but I I wanted to ask um, how do you cope with the not knowing on a daily basis?
2: You go through a period that you go in shock you put things on the back burner and then it comes to a point and as for me personally it took months before I would accept that he wasn't coming home and we weren't on we were not able to find him when it came to that point I I still had two living children here with me and we had a grandson I'm sorry I have a grandson and my son was expecting his first child so when things happen um, that you have a hard time to accept you have to reach out and reach for something to keep you going and it was my grandchildren and to this day they still pull me out. They keep me going.
0: Michelle, I don't think a lot of people can relate to that feeling, but we do hear it from families over and over again. That feeling of maybe seeing somebody in a shopping mall, just catching a glimpse of them and thinking it might be your lost family member. Is that something that you've experienced?
2: I have. I have um, two or three occasions that the person that I had looked at or glimpsed at was spitting image of him. And it really took me back.
0: Absolutely, I I can certainly see where that would. And I'm so sorry that you and your family have to experience this. We when we published the episode about Trevor's disappearance, we had an overwhelming response from people who wanted to share information but people who also wanted to tell us the impact that he had on their lives. Everybody who reached out had positive things to say right across the board about Trevor and about his family. Everybody really loves him and wants to see him returned home. How can people help you and your family to do just that?
2: I believe our family feels that... When we talk about Trevor, or just in a general conversation between friends, when they hear his name, or if there's a special occasion coming up. Right now, we're leading into Christmas, and Trevor loved Christmas, and there are so many pictures out there flowing with Trevor enjoying Christmas. Um, I think once people start talking again, I think sometimes information comes up that they don't think is important, but it really is. And I want them to talk about Trevor and anything they think of. Please send that information out to the police to whereabouts unknown. That's probably all we need to open this case to find him.
0: I agree. And, And as I mentioned, in record numbers, people reached out wanting to. Tell us about him and, again, what a positive impact he had made on their lives. And we know that there are a lot of people rooting for him, rooting for your family, hoping that you get this information that you so desperately need. Michelle, I want to thank you for joining me today. We are going to continue to share Trevor's story and do everything that we can until he's brought home. Thank you, Will. Luke Jolie de Rocher is a 20 year old aspiring musician from Temiskaming, Quebec. Luke has many friends, both on and off social media, and on March 4th, 2011, he decides to visit some of them in North Bay, Ontario. Luke arrives at his friend's Sherbrooke Street apartment, and they ultimately decide to go to a bar called Cecil's on North Bay's Main Street. Luke's friends are admitted to the bar but Luke is denied entrance based on what the doorman believes to be a high level of intoxication. Luke leaves alone, and here is where things get confusing. He may have attempted to get into another bar close by, or he may have gone to the Voyager Hotel a fair distance from Main Street, but this much is certain. Luke's navy blue American Eagle jacket, his cell phone, his keys, and his expensive prescription glasses are later found still at that apartment that he'd been visiting on Sherbrooke Street. But Luke Jolly de Rocher has just disappeared. There is currently a $50,000 reward offered in this case. Please listen to Luke's father, Rob Jolly, as he talks about how it feels to be the father of a missing child. And what he thinks happened to his son on that terrible night. So Rob, what was your first thought when you heard that Luke was missing?
3: My first thoughts of uh, when I heard Luke was missing was that he must have met up with some friends. He must have went and slept somewhere else. He was into music. Uh, He had some friends in North Bay that was into the same kind of music as him. And uh, I thought he met up with somebody at the bar and he was just uh, sleeping over somewhere else and he was going to call.
0: Yeah, of course, that makes complete sense. At what point did you really start to worry?
3: Uh, after about four or five days, um, we couldn't reach him with a cell phone. And by that time, the police had it. So I, I knew something was seriously wrong. He would have called. He's always in touch, uh, either but a pay phone or through a friend's uh, computer or something. I knew something was seriously wrong after about four or five days.
0: Did you at any point think that Luke might have just decided to, to take off, you know, to run away and start a new life somewhere?
3: I did. I did for, uh, for many years. I thought that Luke met up with somebody because he was uh, very socially active on, on the media um, platforms on, on the computer. And, uh, you know, he was, he was into his music and, you know, he said, someday dad, my music's going to make me famous. And, I figured that you know any anything he can do to to reach that goal, he's going to do it. And uh, for a little while, I thought that he he met up with somebody and he skipped town to pursue his music.
0: Yeah, I can see where certainly your mind would go in that direction with such a talented mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. You now, so when a when a person goes missing, all of a sudden there seems to be all of this activity. You know, families tell us that. Um, there's all of this community support. There might be searches going on. The police are at your door several times a day. There's lots of media attention. And then all of a sudden one day that just comes to a full stop. So did you experience the same thing?
3: I did. Uh, we had definitely lots of media coverage, um, through the to uh, local papers and, uh, the local TV stations. And then it got to a point where it did get quiet and, uh. It was kind of sad i felt uh, really alone like there was nobody out there that uh, i could reach out to to help us and uh, so i just took it upon myself to um go ahead with keeping the awareness uh, going and any any way i could with posters uh i had lots of support in north Bave and uh, the local community here so it was putting up posters billboards uh uh, just to keep the awareness going to because somebody out there knows what happened to Luke. And I just wanted to, that was my goal of just to keep the awareness uh, going as much as I could.
0: Yeah, we, we do completely agree with you that there are probably lots of people who know exactly what has happened to Luke. And we really mm-hmm. encourage them to come forward by calling North Bay police service, calling crime stoppers, or certainly sending us a message, uh, a confidential message here at whereabouts unknown I don't think that anybody can really fully understand the sadness, the fear, the frustration, and the all around feeling of panic when a person disappears. And everyone just seems to be kind of turning their back on that. And we know that in theory, life moves on, um, but it is very, very difficult for families when they see that support system slipping away um how did you how did you deal with that you mentioned that you got out a lot of posters you you kept luke's name really out there in the media um did you decide to take on any kind of ag- any investigative techniques yourself i know that at one point i think you had worked with a dog you had done some other things did you try to advance the investigation yourself
3: i did uh numerous times i have uh, just uh, took it upon myself to investigate uh, tips that i was getting because uh of first couple of years, I think I had my own personal cell phone out there and I was talking to a lot of people and relaying that information to police. And, uh, they, uh, reminded me that was, it was a dangerous thing to do because of the people we were dealing with. Uh, but I, I wasn't really frightened about that. Um, I just, uh, kept talking to people, uh, the downtown and hanging out downtown and uh, all hours of the night at midnight and on the weekends when it was really um dangerous to be there like uh but uh, i just uh, had it in my mind that you know i gotta find my son and i'm gonna do anything i can to to find him
0: and there really is no limit to what a father's love can accomplish. And uh, I, as difficult as it must have been for you, um, we really admire the the perseverance that you've shown through all of these years in attempting to find out any information that you can about Luke's disappearance. Now, Luke has been gone now for some time, and, and, and I wanted to ask if you're comfortable talking about this, um, what do you feel in your heart has happened to your son?
3: Well, Ellen, for the longest time, you know, you you, you never give up hope as a parent. You never tell the media that something seriously is wrong here. And you just, you know, keep the faith and that you hope that someday Luke's going to pop up somewhere or call you or text you or something. But at this point, which is we're going on 11 years soon. Um, I honestly think that something seriously has happened to Luke, and I believe he was murdered.
0: Yeah, that is very difficult, I'm sure, to, to even think about for you, and, and and I see where you come to that conclusion. Um, as you say, it has been more than a decade with absolutely no trace of Luke, and, and again, I can see where that would be, where your mind would go. Now, we know that Luke is much loved everywhere his name is heard. And we have had so many people come forward wanting to know how they can help you and your family. So at at this point, Rob, what is the best way that they can help?
3: Well, obviously, Ellen, they've proved it uh, over and over again. Uh, We we put a poster out, you and I, of um, a new poster of Luke just to, you know, raise more awareness. And uh, people have just been so supportive near and far uh, people who don't even know luke they just feel that luke is a part of their lives now because of uh, all the uh, media that we've uh, been doing over the years and the 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 podcast the uh, facebook posts the posters and uh, what i'd like the community to keep doing is uh, just keep sharing stuff that we add on on facebook and the social media keep the awareness going uh, we, we we can't let it down because if we do, it's going to go silent again, and I don't want that. You know, I'm determined to find my son, and I believe if we all work together, we can find Luke.
0: Thirty-year-old Bradley Straysoner of Leesville, Louisiana, was last seen in the Sandy Hill area of Vernon Parish on October 30th, 2019. Bradley had left his mother's house to return a car to his girlfriend about 10 miles away. But Bradley never arrives at his girlfriend's house. The car he was driving is found the next day abandoned on Highway 10. The car is unlocked and the keys are in the passenger seat, but no trace of Bradley has ever been found. In this interview with Bradley's mother, Tony, she speaks about the impact losing her beloved son has had on her and how she has become a tireless advocate not only for her son, but for other families of the missing. Tony also shares her theory about what happened to Bradley on that awful October day. So, Tony, I hate to take you back to that day because I am sure it was likely the most difficult of your life, but can you tell our listeners what happened on the day that Bradley disappeared?
4: Bradley had been gone to um, his girlfriend's to play a video game with her son (laughs) overnight, and he had come back early that morning to wake me up to make sure I was up and had taken my medicine Um, and that's already even fixing me breakfast that morning. Um, and he was upbeat. He was in a hurry. He had to get the car back, but you know, him and I sat on the, he sat on the side of the bed waiting for me to finish eating. So I could take my medicine. And he said, you know, mom, he said, I want you to know something. Pardon me if I get a little emotional. (laughs) He said, um, I want you to know that may think people don't realize, what you do. He said, but I do. He said, I realize the things that you gave up sometimes for us kids. And he said, I want you to know that I appreciate you. I appreciate the things you do and I love you. And he gave me a big hug. And then he said, I got to go take this car back. And I followed him to the door. And last I saw him, he had one foot in the door and one foot on the ground And he was looking at me and he said, I love you, mom, I'll see you later. And I shut the door and locked it. And that was that. that.
0: Goodness, like everybody else, right? We always expect that there's gonna be another conversation and that there'll be another time to follow up with that person. So you've needed to do a lot of investigating on your own. Um, to try to bring Bradley home, can you tell us a little bit about about what you've needed to do?
4: Oh, wow, <laughs> I've had to start everything I mean, I've contacted friends, friends have contacted friends. I've had people come to me with things because they've gone um, seemingly unnoticed or unchecked out by the police, so. I've done it myself. I've tracked down people. I've tromped woods. I've tromped creeks. I've been knee deep in swampy mud with snaky mosquitoes and uh, just places that I, I It's scary, some of it, because I didn't know what I was walking into yet. Still driven because he's my baby. And because I don't and didn't feel like we were getting. Um, the attention that he needed as um, the police, out of the words of one of our own police jurors here said, they didn't even take it serious for maybe the first three to four months.
0: That a mother's love really knows no limits, right? And what you've done is absolutely extraordinary. Given the investigation that you've needed to do on, for a large part on your own and and given everything that you know at this point, Tony, what do you think has happened to Bradley?
4: Um, Bradley was murdered. Um, The individuals I do believe uh, I have identified, Um, and in that I I don't take that identification lightly, you know. uh, But I, they're also, I think they're also aware that I am aware. Now, because of, in, of actions that are being done on their part, one of them has completely left the state, um, and you know, just other strange. Uh, one of them ha- has now. I'm told has bought a is uh, b- bought an illegal firearm now. Um, so yeah. I in this, I'm more having to watch myself as well as. <laughs> As, uh, but they're starting – they're, they're concerned now that they know that I know. So something I've hit on or somebody that knows something that I've done that I've gotten close to, i.e., you know, going out this last little patch of wood that we were into this past weekend is all set about this little chain of events. And so that's a that's a pretty good – that's a pretty good uh, – not, not that's not guesswork. That's – there's something go. There's something with those, and and so yeah, they're identified now, as far as in my book, as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. Do you find that law enforcement is taking that identification seriously?
4: No, they're not. They, to some aspect, I can say, oh my goodness, they have questioned someone that is um, that is close to one of them. Right. One of them, only. But as far as uh, one of the other ones I've said, it, so that's been from day one. And from day one, they have also um, not felt the need to gain any further investigation into this person other than to question him at his house or at his mother's house on his, on his mom's sofa, which is in his own comfort zone. They never have taken him down to out of that comfort zone. To, you know, to the police station and try to uh, question or make him feel uncomfortable or really right. sit on anything to try to get anything. So um, big pro- issue with that person yeah. since this would have saved a whole lot of time. <laughs> but um, well,
0: of course, of course, overall, Tony, how how do you think the law enforcement response has been um, to Bradley's case?
4: Very extremely poorly. Gross grossly unexpected of of a law enforcement department i i not understand it maybe be town place i don't know um but there's no that you know there absolutely isn't
0: yeah the the incredible frustration that a family faces and uh, sadly it's not the first time that we've heard um, that in whatever the area happens to be, that families are not, uh, always, um, in sync with what law enforcement is doing. And that I think can only increase the incredible frustration and and sadness that you feel. And do you think that, you know, we are here in Canada and, um, we from what we the number of people that have reached out to us asking for help on cases and from what we've read in and me- media uh, it seems that there are a lot of people who do go missing in louisiana so has that been kind of your experience is there an issue there with the numbers of people going missing uh, i mean even one is too much but some areas have almost an epidemic of missing people do there seem to be a lot of missing people and and if there are can you think of any of the reasons behind why that might be happening in louisiana
4: Well, you know, first off, I would say until it was point, you know, pointed out to me and I actually looked, which that in and of itself, just that statement should be a red flag that I had to research (laughs) in my just my local area. That's that's, you know, for the department that I'm working with, just their area. I had to literally research to see. Wow, there's a lot. Now, see I, that that shouldn't have been. That shouldn't have been. That should have been something over the years or over or, or whatever set. I mean, time period that that would have been something. Oh yeah, I remember when that happened because it was everywhere. Or I remember, you know, I remember two years ago or three years ago when so when they said reported that that you didn't. I didn't. I had to look. And there's been an astronomical amount per capita of people that go missing. And I didn't even know it. From this same one-mile area, Bradley did, I can say um, numerous people. Numerous people from that same trailer park he was last seen at.
0: Oh, my goodness. Tony, based on the investigation that that you've done, do you think that there is a connection with any of these cases or a connection to Bradley's cases just based on it? And I don't want to make that an unfair question for you. Uh, I'm just curious about whether or not you've identified any particular themes.
4: I don't think that it's um, anything to do with him. I think mm, quite possibly it's the remoteness and the condition of the area that would make it, a prime place for something like that I could assume that I mean I don't have that for I mean evil outlook to be able to you know what I'm saying to try to plant you know but just the way that the things are set up um and how horrible of terrain and wildlife and things were just the typical I mean it would make it I suppose a perfect place for someone to to do something to someone and kind of reassure themselves that mm, chances chances are anybody going to go in that in that mess mm-hmm. looking for anybody. Yeah.
0: that that makes absolute sense. I know that you've uh, called on and you've worked with some other organizations in your search for Bradley. Can you tell us a little bit about those?
4: I'm um, sure I can. Um, Unfortunately, when Bradley went missing was the, uh, of course, was the onset of COVID-19. So right, everybody was, lo- I mean, you know, you know, you got your state, you can't cross state lines, you can't, I mean, so we, there again, was another one of my reasons that I had to be front and, front and center for it myself, because nobody else could come at the time, um, and now I've become... <laughs> I've become the state coordinator for Q organization, which is top shelf for search and rescue and search and recover. And they're getting back and, and, and we're getting back and up and online and as the states are opening back up one by one it, without mask mandates and such. Um, getting geared back up and hopefully we're hoping um, something. And I didn't realize that there were that many. I did, didn't even realize that there was a need that many different organizations like um, Texas EquiSearch, which is all horseback and such, but um, there's some really awesome organizations out there that that are there to help people um, to find their, you know, missing loved ones. Like I said, like I said, barring, there's no epidemics going on, you know?
0: Yeah, of course. Of course. It's just incredible to see you in the midst of everything that you're going through in the midst of everything your family is going through to be giving back to your community and wanting to help other families. It's just absolutely amazing. So speaking of of helping other families, how can our listeners help you to find Bradley?
4: Just even if, you know, even though that I'm pretty sure that's what has happened, you know, to Bradley, there's always, there's always, there's always hope. Yes. Keep a lookout online anywhere Bradley was a welder if there's welders out there that's his profession take a look at him have you seen him give somebody a call I don't have to know where he's at if he's wanting to be just starting a new life somewhere for whatever reason I'll support that just to let me know my baby's okay and if you're local I know My kids know too many people, and Bradley knew way too many people. There's people that know, and I know that there's people that's probably maybe in fear not to say anything. You can say something, and I know they have to be living with this guilt, this horrible guilt. Let it go. Tell somebody. Just let it go. Tell them. Just make a phone call and tell somebody or urge someone that you may know that's told you to tell someone.
0: Yeah, of course. Tony, in Canada, we would call, um, people can certainly send us their tips, send us information, and we certainly welcome those in Bradley's case. We will absolutely get them to you. Um, Where would you recommend that people phone if they have tips and they're living in your area, if they live in Louisiana, uh, what is the best place for them to call or how would they reach out with tips?
4: They can call one eight hundred Crime Stoppers, which would go, um, is taking calls for Bradley. They can also call the Vernon Parish Sheriff's Office direct, which is three would be one three three seven two three eight one three one one, and ask for Detective David Vance or anyone there would be able to take a call from them. Actually,
0: excellent.
1: And they do not have to for- give their
4: name.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Tony, and we wish you the very, very best in your search for answers. Our team is certainly committed to doing everything that we can to help you, uh, including sharing posts. We recommend that all of our listeners, regardless of where you live, the world is a big yet pretty small place. So we recommend sharing posts. When you see a post of Bradley, please share it far and wide along with his story. Let's get some answers for this family. Tony, thank you so much.
4: Thank you so much. God bless you and everything you do. And if we can ever be of assistance to you through Chief, please give me a call.
0: In the first year of our podcast, our listeners have stepped up in amazing ways to provide information in the cases that we work on. You've also provided support and encouragement to the families and to our team. And we appreciate you more than we could possibly say. For photos and physical descriptions of Danny Galton, Trevor Hamlin, Luke Jolie de Roche, and Bradley Stray Center, please visit our Facebook page. If you have any information about these cases, please reach out to us in a private and confidential message, call your local police service, or call Crime Stoppers. We'll continue to bring you updates on these cases. I'm Ellen White and you have been listening to Whereabouts Unknown. <music>
2: all right.